This is the Neurosurgery Podcast. Welcome to the Neurosurgery Podcast. Today we are very delighted to be joined by Jonathan Sherman. Now, I had the pre- uh, the, the privilege, I should say, of meeting Jonathan when I was a visiting professor at UVA. And I want to say, John, you were like a PGY-5? PGY-5. PGY-5. And I was just taken aback by how brilliant he was. He was uh, involved in all this research and tumor biology. And, and I knew we'd reconnect at some point. And so when I saw him here at the meeting, I was super excited to talk to him. He immediately broke in to a discussion about something that we're going to talk about today. But John, welcome to the podcast. Please introduce yourself. So my name is uh, Jonathan Sherman. Uh, I am currently up at West Virginia University Rockefeller Neuroscience Institute, and I'm an associate professor there, and I direct our uh, brain tumor program on our East Campus. Oh, so we, we've had two previous WVU folks on this podcast, Ali Rizai and Pete Conrad. So they're your, your compatriots. Yeah, uh, Pete is currently my chair, and then Dr. Rizai is uh, the head of the r Great. Fantastic. Well, welcome, and thank you for sharing your time with us. So yesterday night at the bar, we were talking about some stuff, and you brought up this new concept that you've taken, I want to say pretty far, um, which is XR, right? Correct. Now, you know, we've got all kinds of listeners, but I am very familiar with AR, augmented reality. We have systems for that in Miami, and uh, VR, of course, virtual reality. Right. Okay, so tell us about XR. So XR is really that phrase that you coin that combines all of them. Virtual reality is that space where you're in this environment that you don't see your surroundings, right? Augmented reality is that space where you can put a headset on, you actually see your surroundings and you see a virtual image in that surrounding. Mixed reality is kind of a combination where you might actually be able to manipulate that surrounding. So maybe the augmented, you can see something, can't do anything with it, mixed, you can manipulate it. So if you coin all those, and what I'm trying to do is develop an institute that actually allows us to work with companies, you have to have one phrase that combines all of those, that's extended reality. So Dr. Sherman, maybe uh, again for our listeners at all different stages and roles in connection to neurosurgery, in, in broad strokes, can you tell us in what contexts you have been applying these technologies to your clinical practice or perhaps academic practice um, in in relation to neurosurgical care and and with patients. So that's the fun thing. So that's where it started about seven years ago. I literally went to a dinner event and there was a company called Surgical Theater and they were talking about flight simulation technology to integrate 3D reconstructions, like reconstruct imaging so you could see the brain looks like a virtual brain. You could have it in your clinic, you could have it in the OR and you could plan out surgical procedures. So that's how it started for me. I didn't even know what virtual reality was at the time. And so I went back and I said, you know what, we must have a simulation. We know, we, I know we have a simulation center at GW. Let me go there because they must have all this stuff there. And they didn't have any of that stuff. And I found out nationally, most simulation centers don't. And so I spent a year trying to get, get it paid for so we could bring it in. And so I started with our hospital. We were going to be first in the area integrating virtual and augmented reality in the operating room in the clinics. So we we uh, had the hospital pay for that. And that's how I started with this. And it went much farther beyond that. The cool thing with this technology is that you can do it in neurosurgery. I expanded out to thoracic surgery. We had a thoracic surgeon that was using it. We had a general a GI, a GI surgeon using it. And so we actually had multiple people using it in their clinics well outside of neurosurgery. 
And I made a very keen point never to be a, you know, to have conflict of interest, never to actually join in with the companies, but to bring them in to benefit patients. So that's how it started for me. And that's been about seven years ago. That's wonderful. And, and I do want to come back to the application in the operating theater. But before we go into that, I was thinking about something this morning in the shower. So we're here in Austin, Texas. And I remember my co-fellow, Matthew McDonald, in, in, in Adelaide, Australia, giving a presentation about how he uses a robot to communicate with patients in Darwin, which is a northern territory, more rural of Australia. And he'll go operate in Darwin, then leave, but he'll round on his patients with this robot that goes room to room. Right. And now with the COVID pandemic, I mean, this whole thing about telehealth, and we haven't really talked much about it on this podcast, but we should, we've been forced into this virtual world in some sense, right? So tell us about, before we get into surgery, how these XR technologies might help us as surgeons, maybe in research or outpatient care. Are there other arenas or is it just for surgery? That's, that's the best part about it. So as I was at GW, before I came to WVU, I started learning all about these companies and I became part of a virtual reality and healthcare symposium and then eventually an international VR healthcare symposium. So I started learning and meeting with companies on a you know, daily or weekly basis. And a lot of these companies have nothing to do with surgery, but they're in the medical space. And some of them aren't even in the medical space, they're in the education space. So I actually came up with this concept of like a think tank at the university. So imagine that you have like the health, the health system integrating with all of these virtual companies and developing with those companies new technologies to help clinical research and education needs. And at the university side, you have students that are being educated in this XR space. So they learn how to code. They learn how to, on the clinical side, how to integrate with companies. So then they can have jobs when they come out. They could actually help develop these products. They're usually the good thinkers, you know. And so I came up with the idea of having an initiative that I then translated to WVU. So imagine that you have, like in West Virginia, we have a huge diabetes problem, right? And so patients are just non-compliant. So we've talked about with a company developing an augmented reality avatar that actually mimics the person. And so you but you have to know what the AI technology needs to be built into the software so that as you do your daily routine, you fit with current clinical guidelines in diabetes care. So if a patient does an awful job of their management, that virtual self is kind of the personal Tomagashi is the phrase I've heard about it, where that personal self is actually looking terrible. They're doing they, they communicate how bad you're doing. And then if they do better then it's the opposite. And the idea is it's called consequence-based learning. You're actually expanding and they're actually doing a better job. You can expand that out to cardiac. You can expand that out to surgical care. So that's one example that's non-surgical. But then on the other side, you could actually put a headset on and do spine surgery where you can integrate into an augmented reality environment where you can virtually see the spine overlaid on your real spine and you could put screws in more safely. So that's, there's a company that does that. So we've gotten, we've gotten very good at vetting companies to connect them with different clinicians across the WVU campus to you know, come up with proof of concepts across the spectrum, medicine, surgery, and even just in general education at the university level. Now, Dr. Sherman, I, this is one of those great times to have a podcast because it allows me to ask questions that have been bugging me for years to the perfect person to answer that question. Like many neurosurgeons, I hold very strong opinions, 
And like a large fraction of those neurosurgeons, I'm often very poorly informed about the subject matter that I have the opinion in. And I'm so glad, I'm so glad that you brought up education and medical and surgical education. So when I was in medical school, we had conventional cadaver dissections for our anatomy class. But at the time, that's when it was becoming vogue, and we heard all these stories about medical schools converting to no cadaver anatomy classes, where it was fully virtual reality, fully simulated, these large fancy tables with high-def screens where you would cut through all the layers. And I, at the time, took on a super old-school point of view, and I said, oh, this is crap. This will never replace the real thing. They're missing the moral bonding with the patient and the sensation and the experience of truly dissecting another human body. And so I, I wonder if I could just put the question to you. Obviously, a lot of the applications of VR, AR, and now XR that we talk about in neurosurgical practice augments the real thing, prepares you for a true surgery, simulates something you might do the next day. But I, I wonder what your impression or even opinion would be of a growing trend towards replacing the real thing in earlier medical education, or perhaps even in low-level surgical education? Well, I'll tell you, so this, that's a great question. Um, and the, the reality is going even back to the COVID question. You know, one of the things that we've done across the campus at WVU was that we integrated with a company that provides headsets, right? So you want rental headsets, right? Their headsets are changing all the time. If you buy five headsets today, they're going to be obsolete in two years. So we connected with all like five of the deans for different schools across the campus. They put headsets on. They say one of the issues is we need to get some remote learning for our students. And so we've already started the process of educating those, you know, or educating the deans on how they can educate their students, specifically about anatomy. So one of the other, when I, I started with surgical theater, we started with two additional companies. I brought a company in that we were going to test uh, for our in-house at GW. They had an in-house rehabilitation center. So we were going to bring in a virtual company to help with rehabilitation. The other thing it is, I, I got a $10,000 grant to bring a company that had virtual cadavers because one of the conditions, one of the issues was, you know, I was a medical student. We did a year, it was my favorite course, a year long with cadavers. They were having problems getting cadavers. So I said, all right, we're gonna bring in a company that we can do virtual education. So I learned a ton from that grant because what I learned very quickly was that yes, there's this beautiful cadaver that you can do education and you go, and I learned across the country, there are certain schools that are developing their own in-house pro pro projects, in-house programming, and there's other companies that you can bring in that already have the cadavers ready for you. And so our $10,000 was based on a budget that was, you know, you can imagine how most grants go. It was six months after we got the money that we were even able ready to spend it. Well, that company had doubled their cost. You know, the headsets I wanted had, you know, they didn't exist anymore. So I had to work on, you know, connecting with companies to give me free headsets. I, and most importantly, when we brought the tech, tech in, you know, our IT department didn't know what to do with it. So I had to work with IT to figure out how we're even going to bring this into a hundred person, you know, medical school uh, uh, lecture. And then most importantly, you had to get the anatomist to actually buy in to do the education. And so the problem with the current project products out there, because when I got to WVU, I looked at that. There's three different uh, groups, three different companies that each have their own cadavers. They don't have educational programs. So if you don't if you don't think ahead of time to say, all right, are, are, are your anatomists willing to change their whole manner of how they teach cadaver work? 
and come up with an educational program based all on virtual cadavers and then test on that. And so we, by the time I left GW, I chose not to work with our anatomy program uh, at WVU to bring that in because, you know, the anatomists didn't have the time to change their whole program, but they actually have this anatomage table that's like a virtual cadaver. So what the students do is they do their cadaver work and then they come in and then they can use the anatomage table to kind of relearn some of the stuff they already learned while they're, you know, from what they learned in the cadaver lab where they were working with a real cadaver. So I think it's going to be a blend. And I think at some point it might transition, but you have to have real champions that get it. You I was a, you know, I'm a neurosurgeon trying to convince anatomists to change their whole lecture series on stuff. So you have to make sure you know who the players are so that you can integrate that stuff. So I think it will happen, but it will happen in stages as all, you know, the university from the top down realizes it's, it's important. So can I ask you, were you an engineer as an undergrad? Chemical. Where? Uh, Georgia Tech. I thought so, because I went to Georgia Tech for a year. My dad was a professor there. We talked about that. Rajiv Saigal trained there. And Georgia Tech is such a great institution. I grew up in Georgia. But I just, for our listeners, and I, I will follow up with a question, but for our listeners who are not American, maybe, I think that what you're hearing in Dr. Sherman's passion and his knowledge base is that, you know, a lot, most other medical systems, you start in the medical school out of high school and you take a medical track, like India, six years of medical school after high school. And that's wonderful if you're trying to train clinicians, except you miss that. I mean, you couldn't do this if you didn't have an engineering background, right? I mean, it'd be hard. It'd be harder. Yeah. yeah. And so that's what's amazing is that some people come with a background in literature, some with science, some with engineering, some in policy, and then you become a neurosurgeon. And so you do become better able to handle challenges for the future for our field. And, and so that's just an aside. People may wonder why America's like this and why it takes so long to become a neurosurgeon, right? But I want to come back to this XR because to me, and, and you guys work a lot with the military at WV, right? Yes, with, okay. with the RNI, yeah. With the RNI, right? So there's Navy SEALs training there. I saw some of the stuff that happened when I flew up there. The guy sitting next to me actually uh, is a guy who has a company that builds all the um, electronics for the, the special operations boats for the Navy SEALs, the ones that get dropped in and like in the movies. And, and so I think about the night vision goggles. And when I think about XR, I think about somehow enhancing human sensation, almost synonymous with ESP, which is extrasensory perception, which is kind of a fake weird thing, right? But what if I could hear better, like the $6 million man or the bionic woman, I could hear better. If I could see better, if I could see through bone and know a nerve is in one area, not another. And I'm not talking about image guidance either. I'm talking about enhancing my sensibilities, my sense of touch, vibration, hearing, seeing. Um, I mean, is that part of XR too? It can be. And we've linked with, um, you know, the team down at Wash U, uh, Develop. They're they're big on uh, the brain machine interface, right? Mm -hmm. And so they're working. With, they developed a comp, uh, a product called Ipsy Hand to actually help with um, with rehabilitation. And so um, one of the things that we talked about was um, like for patients that have phantom pain or phantom, you know, they they've lost a, a limb, that you could actually help with rehabilitation by incorporating you know, EMG type triggers in the arms. And, but then you put a headset on and you're actually virtually seeing your hand. So you're helping your proximal muscles by a hand that doesn't exist. And so you're helping those senses relearn for something that you really can't even, you don't even, doesn't even exist on your body anymore. So one of the researchers at, at RNI is actually working on things like that. 
And so you know, traditionally it hasn't incorporated that, but I think the incorporation of the virtual or augmented space with the brain machine interface type technologies is where it's gonna go. Like the neuroprosthetics of the world and those type of things that really get incorporated, you know, for rehabilitation or whatever it is. I think, the, oh, you know, for military training, I mean, we're just touching the surface, but until we can get, you know, the idea of putting on a headset, like I still with the wrong headset, we'll put it on. And after about 10 minutes, I feel like I need to sit down and take the headset off because I feel a little dizzy mm -hmm. or the old concern of having a seizure because of the old headsets or beyond that now. But the technology has to advance for the simple things before we can really get to that level of uh, sophistication. So briefly, as an aside, I, I would like to echo Dr. Wang's comments about the American education system. And, and just to put my hand up as a witness, I would not be in medicine, uh, much less in neurosurgery, and have the privilege of meeting and getting to talk with either of you, if not for our system here. I, I didn't even have thoughts about medicine until well towards the end of my undergraduate. I started as a classics major, so amen to that. But Dr. Sherman, now that we've followed your professional course and, and working towards this interaction and relationships with these various virtual and augmented reality companies. Now that we've got to where you are today, why don't you tell us and tell our listeners about the surgical theater system, just what capacities it has and how you use it both in the operating room in real time doing surgeries. And also, as I saw on your website, how you show patients what their pathology can look like. Yeah, so we, we have a virtual reality tech that um, was part of the contract. And so any patient that comes in, we look at every single patient's imaging and we reconstruct their image. Um, so we take that and, you know, sometimes they don't have the perfect fine cut. We can still create an image with their software to give us, you know, some vantage point. So if we're talking about anywhere from foraminal stenosis for someone that has just cervical radiculopathy to a brain tumor, all those patients get a VR experience. And so they come into our VR room, our patient engagement room. We sit them down and we have a touch screen that's about 23 inches hooked to an 85 inch television. And so the patients have the option to either put the headset on or I just fly through it with them. And we show them exactly with their anatomy what we're doing. Then I'll take that image and now we're actually linking, we linked with a, with a company called uh, Omniscient Neurotechnology that does connectomics. And we're going to be able to integrate the, you know, the fiber tracks into our images that we can then plan out surgeries. Now we use traditional DTI, but we incorporate all of that into our virtual reconstructions. So once we've done that, I sit down with our VR tech and we'll plan out the surgical procedure. It might be putting in screws uh, virtually on, this, on, this, on that virtual reconstruction. It might be doing a virtual laminectomy. It might be doing you know, our planned surgical approach and what part of the tumor we can and cannot remove. And so we plan that out in the clinic. Then we translate it over to the operating room. And so we have both the virtual and augmented reality op options in the operating room. And so we link our net neuro navigation with the virtual reconstruction with, with this uh, surgical theater. And so we'll plan out, once we plan out the surgery, we'll put that on there and I'll do it usually a day ahead of time and we'll pre-plan the surgery. So with residents, we pre-plan it with them or medical students and we show them exactly, you know, we, you can give them options on different ways they might get to what they're going to do. And you say, all right, well, now we've planned out our surgery and we then we go into the operating room with our microscope, it's augmented. So we can actually 
have a tumor or we have a spine case, you know, we can actually look through the microscope and see the tumor virtually through the anatomy. So I can pre-plan my craniotomy or actually look through the microscope on the person that's sitting there and plan out how I'm going to do my incision. I've already planned it out ahead of time, but I just re- you know, I proved to myself, yet yeah, that's exactly what we want to do. And then we use it in the operating room. So I can actually see, unlike the two-dimensional view, I can actually see through, like with, with a real virtual brain, see through the brain. When I get in there, I've planned out what veins are in my way. I already know what veins, you know, it, it, it's easier than the two-dimension. So I know if I need to, I don't have to redo the dural opening because I'm not, it's not big enough or it's too, you know, it's not small enough and I'm not in the right spot. So I've already planned it out and that's that's done. For spine, we connect with our O-arm and we actually will put virtual screws in. And then afterwards, we take those videos, we take the real videos in our microscope and our tech works with me to bring it down to a video that we then give the patients because patients always want videos. And then they actually will get a video when they come back to clinic of their virtual surgery and some of the real-time surgery. And so, and that, that kind of completes the circle of everything we've done from a virtual and augmented approach. Does that kind of describe the, uh, what we're talking about? Absolutely. And, and, you know, I could wax poetic about the raw technological power that you're describing and how impressive that is. I also love the fact that you show the patients what you're doing, both the before and the after. But I think in what you just said, what really struck me and what really gave me joy was that you don't just reserve this for the really complicated tumors, but you do it for every case, even just a cervical radiculopathy. You know, using this system, that's a great example of measure twice, cut once, obviously, but Dr. Wang always used to tell me the critical portion of the case is the one you're not thinking of. And I often say to our interns, everything you do today is the most important thing you do today. And so the fact that you're using that for every single case really gives me joy. Um, and you know, we've taken beyond that now. How so? Well, surgical theater is just the tip of the iceberg. They're an in, they're an end user product in some respects. We can, but now we've we've now connected with this omniscient program. So now we're they're developing new code to connect everything, which is fantastic. But you know, this is where through our XR initiative at WVU, we've now learned to vet companies, and there's a lot of them doing the same thing. So for our post-operative, you know, pain management for spine. We're working with a company that has you know, different tools in the virtual environment to help with pain management and with physical therapy. We're working with, uh, you know, and also, you know, with opioid reduction, which is a big problem in West Virginia. And so we're linking with other companies with other needs. We're working with a company on developing a microscope simulator. So, so preoperatively for any type of surgery you want to do, we actually can link with that company to we're, you know, develop this simulator so students can can actually practice microanastomoses and working in a microscope, but in a virtual environment, so you don't have to bring the huge microscope. So there, and that's just in surgery, much less all the other companies we've been. We have a huge working group across the campus now. We have an executive committee that's helping us develop this. So the surgical theater for me, it works great for what we're doing, but there's so many other things we're doing in the XR space across the WVU campus. And it's just, it, we're, we're just starting with what we're, what we're able to do with these companies in this kind of collaborative environment. That is phenomenal. And clearly the extended part of XR is not just the capacities, but the applications. Now we, we do want to respect your time since, you know, we're here at the meeting at CNS in Austin, but before we close, I do have what is perhaps the most personal and probing question of this conversation. And I'll remind our listeners, we've talked about Navy SEAL training, high-level emerging technologies, 
But to you, Dr. John Sherman, I want to put the question, do you play virtual reality video games? Uh, yes, I do. <laughs> and if you have not tried them, you need to try them. What are some of your favorites? Um, you know, my kids have, I, 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 I don't have the names off the top of my head. Um, I, I jump on the Oculus and I just, you know, pick a game. So, um, I, I mostly go with the Oculus store and just pick different games. So I'm not the expert on what they're called. Cause mostly it's my kids that want to do it. <laughs> sure. They get me on there and, you know, I, I play along. I will tell you, I'm not, a, I'm not as good as they are. But uh, it, it, it's good for surgical training. And so I would say for any surgeon should get into the uh, XR space, if nothing else, to um, have some fun, relaxed time with some video games. Absolutely. I lost hours of my life one night after dinner at Dr. Wang's house with his son, Pat, who uh, has the Oculus Rift. So I, I know exactly what you're talking about. Um, but very good. I mean, this, this was a fascinating deep dive into what's clearly a much deeper well of information about these emerging technologies. Uh, so, Dr. Sherman, thank you so much for coming on and sharing with us and our listeners everything you're doing in this exciting new space of not virtual, not augmented, but together extended reality. Thank you so much, sir. Well, thanks for allowing me to speak with you guys today. Disclaimer time. The opinions and ideas expressed in this show are solely those of myself, Dr. Wang, and our guests. They do not represent the opinions of any professional institution or organization. This show is for entertainment purposes only and does not constitute the giving of medical or legal advice. Listening to or participating in this show does not constitute continuing medical education or any other professional certification. It's just a show, everybody.